Hello, my name is Mari Gerard, and I'm the Managing Editor for Custom Content at Sightline. Today, I am joined by David Freeman, General Manager for Healthcare Analytics Solutions at Quest Diagnostics, for the second of two podcasts focusing on how site and principal investigator selection can be reframed by utilizing lab data. David, thank you very much for joining me today. You made some really interesting points in episode one. Could you tell us a little bit more about Quest Diagnostics Data Insights platform and also how the partnership with Health Verity arose? Sure. So Quest has about 65 billion lab events in our data repository and goes back now over like a dozen years of longitudinal history. So, you know, as part of the work that we've done from a public health perspective, helping you know, public health officials in this country and the world, frankly, understand what the data at scale means. It's really kind of illuminated that we have really good understanding of disease progression, patient journey, diagnostic journey, and therapeutic journey. So we really started to reflect on, well, how do we take the clinical expertise we have, the deep data that we have, and the direct relationships that we have across healthcare stakeholders, and turn that into enablement for patients, for providers, and for the clinical trial community to learn and to optimize what they're trying to do. And so that's really the the birth of that. You know, our portfolio of analytical solutions has been market driven so we you know we hear from the market different demands over time that evolves right so there was a moment in time when only the largest pharma clients you know could basically afford and had the expertise to handle volumes of data at scale right and then as over time people started to say, well, listen, we don't necessarily want the complexity of dealing with the data and making it fit for use. And we don't necessarily want to take on the burden directly of all of the HIPAA compliance privacy issues, right? Those are complex, right? So so we started to build out a a set of partners that had de-identification engine technology engines which allowed us to protect patient identity while being able to provide data at scale. And there's a nuance here I I just want to share with you. So there's two kinds of ways of de-identifying data as defined under HIPAA. One is what's called safe harbor. So what safe harbor means, like the word sound, you take certain fields out of the data and you safe harbor them. So there are 18 fields that are defined. It would be all of your PII, your personal information um, that identifies, personally identified information that identifies, say, you versus me. But when you do that with a bolus of data, you can't tell whether it was one patient that got five tests or five patients that got one test, right? So one or five, right? You, you can't tell the difference. 
And so there has to be a better way. And the, the, the better way is the statistical methodology. Right? So the statistical methodology does an algorithmic transformation of those key 18 fields, and it creates basically a token or a linker at the other end of the process that can't be reverse engineered. And what that means is that Quest can tokenize the lab data. And if you go to a CVS or a Walmart or Walgreens for your meds, and they have the same de-identification engine on their end, my data from Quest and my data from CVS will be linkable in a longitudinal way and in a discrete, you know, is it one or many? And all of a sudden, you start to really unlock a lot of value. And so that's a really powerful thing. So these uh, partners uh, of which, you know, Health 30 is a leader, allows us to really participate at the next level in that longitudinal point of view while protecting patient privacy. And they're they're very knowledgeable about the, the technology in support of that. But also, while we love labs at Quest, we know that lab lab values are only a part of the picture, right? That medication history, claims, medical claims data, these are all parts of the story. And if you can combine them, now you really start to build out cohort views of patients, which is the bedrock of really enabling clinical trial planning. And Health Verity is a really interesting, you know, leading company in this space in that they've got a pre-certified environment for multi-party data. So what, what that means is Quest data and 50 other data suppliers are in this environment. You could do a query and pull up. I want to see, you know, patients with allergies uh, as the diagnostic code, eosinophils as the lab test within this, you know, bracket that are on this particular medication. And they have that environment of which we participate that allows you to source and look across multi-party data in a secure, patient-protected way, right? So privacy-preserving way. So that's, and that's really important to Quest. We don't want to participate in data sharing that isn't aligned with privacy preservation. No, fantastic. And then with regards to this lab data, how quickly can sponsors harness this data by working with Quest? And how does leveraging the data impact overall speed to market? That really depends on um, your use case. So with regard to clinical trials, we see kind of three phases, right? So there's clinical trial planning, there's the patient recruitment end, which is sort of at the front end of clinical trial operations, and then prep towards market introductions. And so we have data that can serve the needs at each of those different phases. Uh, so that so that's one piece. And there's different ways to consume the information. So for historical views of the information, we can do a data poll. Uh, based on criteria that come from a pharma client and get that to them two, three weeks after, you know, they they ask for it. Uh, we also have on-demand platforms in the cloud, secure, 
uh, Quest, um, Quest Diagnostics um, uh, informatics platform, which allows for self-service queries where they can tease out cohorts. They can look at the intersection of de-identified patients and their labs and identified principal investigators. So that piece of work that we talked about, how do you de-risk where I uh, put a trial and who is the PI that I select can be enhanced with that self-service query process. And that's a subscription service, which you basically get credentialed and then you're off you know, to the races. And then the last way that that kind of information can be consumed uh, is really um, in a dashboard kind of perspective, like customized to your, your therapeutic. And that really, I think, comes more in play when you're thinking about um, the commercialization phase and looking at, you know, uh, is there script activity? Are people testing? Uh, which kind of profiles are taking up? Uh, clinical profiles are taking up, uh, you know, your new medication, et cetera. Excellent. And can you tell us about any particular case studies where a sponsor might have worked with Quest to identify sites and or private investigators? Yes, I'm happy to. Um, so I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, had to do with a sponsor focused on multiple myeloma. And the sponsor, you know, was in this had, it was in this space for quite some time, so they had uh, almost 300 U.S. physicians participating in one uh, multiple myeloma trial or another. When we searched our database for that same profile of physician, we were able to identify 1,400 that had 10 or more patients with a, a multiple myeloma. And so when you do the math on the subtraction there, that means we identify net new uh, 1,250 physicians with at least 10 multiple myeloma patients that was new to that sponsor. So that that's very powerful, right? And, and it's not that the trusted relationships that they built are no longer valid, but as you know, patients move right criteria specific to a particular trial so how do you optimize that that's really key and the second thing i would say is how do you build surround sound around the sites you sort success surround sound around the sites you select so um, what i mean by that is are you cognizant of the patient population not just in that zip code right and that site but within 25, 30 miles in all directions. And so, you know, Quest has over 2,500 patient service centers that can act as screeners and feeders. And, you know, the difference between one site that has a good bulk of patients that meet the IE criteria, but have no patient service centers and sparse populations that can feed versus the opposite of that, where you have a lot of patient service centers and a, a rich repository of patients in that surround sound, that makes it all, all the world of a difference, right? Because it's not just a moment in time. No one's going to get all the patients that you know and you think you will get into a trial, into a trial. And so you have to build success contingencies 
And I think the you know being able to tap into the broader population that's relevant to a trial and the patient service center community, which can act as a feeder, um, is really, really key. No, fascinating to hear about it in practice. And with regards to the validation of sites and investigators, how does Quest go about that on its platforms? Yep. So it, you know, that kind of analytics can be done in any of the three ways that I talked about. But just to use the Q, uh, QDIP example, where uh, a sponsor could upload their investigator list. And then we would allow them to then map against the patients um, that are in that investigator list. And then you can start to look at, well, what's my percent coverage? Because you'll also be able to see where there are other meaningful populations of patients that fall outside of your existing network. And the other piece is that part about that success surround sound. So you can also do a geographic view, geospatial view of, okay, I'm going to put my PI in the center, and then I'm going to look and you define what the radiate, travel radius is around that. And does that give me confidence that, that there's a meaningful population around that particular investigator? And so you might make those different trade-off decisions saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to say that between these two you know, because it's in a region, but one of them has the surround center, one of them doesn't, I'm going to go with that one, right? Or, yeah, I know I worked with this investigator previously, but they don't have the right mix right now. Or maybe I like this clinician a lot, but I'm going to put them in a regional PI position rather than a site-driven position so that we can leverage their expertise in our relationship but to do it in a more expansive, inclusive way. So that, you know, there's a lot of options. Data gives you a lot of paths, right, to success. You know, otherwise, you're, you know, you're driving with duct tape on the dashboard. That's a very good analogy. And then tacking on to the potential of real-world data more generally, how does this type of lab data fit into the broader picture of real-world data usage in the clinical setting? Yeah. It's very interesting. So first of all, patient reported outcomes is a very hot topic. Um, so if you think about the subject of social determinants of health, there's the parallel of social determinants impacting health and patient reported outcomes uh, impacting therapeutic success. There's a parallel there, right? So if a medication is intolerable, if it impact, if the off, you know, target effects, you know, are really burdensome, you really need to know that, right? I mean, that's critical, perhaps for a formulation decision or you know your strat your strategy to to get it into the market. And Quest has you know some expertise in that patient engagement, patient coaching through you know, other services in our business that can really help codify and structure patient reported outcomes. And that becomes, I think, another useful piece of the puzzle as you advance. I mean, that's really real, real world uh, data, which is the patient's experience. 
Uh, but the other thing I would say is there's nothing more real than looking at the outcomes based on labs. It doesn't lie, right? Either the cholesterol goes up, continues to go up or stay high, or it goes down, right? A1C is uncontrolled or it's not, right? So there's some objective truths that come out of labs, which are broadly accepted. Um, and I think at the end of the day, uh, as you approach the market and you think about how to price a therapeutic, it comes down to, well, what's the value? And answering what the value is, is what's the health impact for a patient, right? And if you can document in an objective way that this is improving the lives of a patient through their patient-reported outcomes, as well as the diagnostic lab measures, then you're going to be able to make a really nice case with CMS for your pricing. And uh, you're going to be able to make a nice case to the health plans. Otherwise, you're going to have a nightmare to get coverage. And nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants to go through the gauntlet of clinical trial development, demonstrate safety and efficacy, only to fail at the last phase where you haven't really looked at, you know, the clinical impact and the patient impact in a objective at scale way. And I think the history has been to use meds, med tracking, and maybe some claims information, but those are not direct measures. Those are not direct measures. That's not the patient's voice, structured and aggregated, and it's not the biometric diagnostic insights, right? So there's nothing more direct than those. Well, thank you, David, for taking the time to have this conversation today. It's been fantastic to get your insight on this very interesting topic. For our listeners, if you haven't already, make sure you tune in to the first of these two podcasts. Finally, I would like to thank our sponsor, Quest Diagnostics, for making this great discussion possible.